0: Society's most intractable problems often require innovative and audacious solutions. Most recently, we've witnessed the growth of impact investing, for example. Investments made into companies, organizations, and funds with the intention of generating social and environmental impact along with a financial return. In fact, when it comes to transforming the lives of the world's most vulnerable people, A new kid on the Canadian block is using impact investing as its tool of choice. On the cusp of their launch, there perhaps is no better time to speak with Managing Director of Origin Capital, David O'Leary. Welcome to In the Business of Change, where we speak with social entrepreneurs impacting their communities and the world. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum. Publisher and editor in chief of Sea Change magazine. Stay tuned for additional dates of my book tour coming up this year. And of course, as per usual, you can find my book, also titled In the Business of Change Profiling Social Entrepreneurs Around the World, at your local bookstore, at Amazon, or on our website. On today's episode, we speak with David O'Leary, Managing Director of Origin Capital. A division of World Vision Canada, Origin Capital offers a suite of high-impact investment products that allow Canadians to grow their wealth while fighting global inequality. In our conversation, David explains why Origin Capital was founded and its unique approach to transformational change. We also talk generally about the growth of impact investing, while David addresses some of the misconceptions in the sector, infusing it with a welcome dose of reality. Want to learn more about impact investing? You've come to the right podcast.
1: So Origin Capital has, has come out of um, the work of World Vision Canada, and for a bit of background and context, World Vision Canada is one of the larger um, INGOs in the world, so humanitarian aid uh, organizations working, you know, to help the lives of the most vulnerable people. Um, so. World Vision operates in a, roughly around 100 countries across the globe, uh, has about 37,000 staff. Most of those staff are kind of locals to the countries in which we're working. So if we're in Sierra Leone, there would be locals working in Sierra Leone. And we've been around for about five, six decades now and cover a wide variety of sectors. So it would be like healthcare, care, nutrition, economic development, education, uh, things like that to really build up communities. And in particular, our focus is ultimately trying to drive and improve the well-being of of vulnerable children. But, you know, working with children means you support their communities and their parents, and they need an environment that allows them to flourish. Right. So, you know, after you know five, six decades of of that work, uh, what we've, I think, not just we at World Vision, but collectively, globally, realizes, and I think this was really a fine point was put on this in 2015, when the UN you know, launched the sustainable development goals after the uh, millennium development goals had uh, expired. And uh, also at the time authored some research that said, you know, we're going to set these new goals for 2030 and what would it take, you know, what does it take to achieve them? And what they found is, you know, it's going to take roughly seven, seven and a half trillion dollars annually to reach those goals of investment. Um, And that would be, you know, aid and, uh, the, the work that INGOs do, but it's also governments investing in things like roads and infrastructure, schools, clean water. Uh, and what they found is we're under-investing by about $2.5 trillion per year. And so at this rate, you know, we're, we're definitely not going to achieve those goals unless we up the amount we're investing by about $2.5 trillion a year. And just to give some perspective, if you add up all of the foreign aid, um, uh, private donations, uh, so philanthropic capital that's going to, to solve these problems you get to a number there's no one source for this so this is a real rough guess, but you're kind of in the in the hundreds of billions is it six seven eight hundred billion that type of ballpark so the amount of money that's being given away to, to, to solve these problems is in the billions and what we need is in the trillions right and that's a massive difference between those two. Uh, you know it's a, just a T and a B that separates them but that the, that order of magnitude is massive. So what we realize is people aren't giving away enough money to solve these problems. So what we need to do is find new sources of, of capital. And that's what origin capital is, is. How do we create new, more sustainable sources of financing that allow us to access new pools of capital? And the, and the good thing is you don't have to look very far and wide to find where to find that money, because the amount is so big that there's only one place you can turn, and that's private investment capital. Right. Uh, it could be public investment capital, but it's investment capital, and that's where... We're trying to create new solutions that allow us to use people's investment capital to drive
0: uh, solutions. And when did that start up, just this uh, past
1: year? Yeah, we launched the brand, uh, soft. we've soft launched the brand and we we're having an official hard, hard launch of the brand in 20, uh, sorry, at the Mars Social Finance Forum in November.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, but we've been working on this stuff for about four years now.
0: Um, all good stuff. And so tell us about any specific initiatives that you wanted to mention.
1: I think I'll talk about the opportunity bond. So the thing is when people give, like philanthropic capital, I, I would just classify as when people give you the money and you can do whatever you want with it, you don't have to pay it back. So as an INGO, you can spend it on all sorts of paying people and supplies and all the things you need to do. If somebody gives you money and says, hey, I want it back in three years from now, five years from now, and I want a return on it, and you want to use that money in the interim to do some good, well, you just have to be a lot more creative. Oh, boy, what what do I do with this money? How am I going to do something positive with it while still paying it back? So our opportunity bond is essentially a three-year fixed term, 3% interest, uh, promissory, you know, unsecured note, it's a, you know, so bond, we promise to pay that 3% annually. Mm-hmm. And we raise capital through that bond from, you know, high net worth uh, accredited investors here in Canada. And then we uh, use that capital to lend to small and growing businesses throughout the developing world. So it's a little, so that sounds fairly straightforward. Um, sounds a lot like microfinance when we start right. talking about this, which I think probably most people listening would have heard of. And microfinance would be you know loans of fifty dollars, twenty-five dollars, a hundred dollars, maybe even five hundred dollars. It's that really first loan that maybe a a, um, a borrower in Sri Lanka buys some seed, grows some crops, sells at a local market, and it's enough to feed their family, but you know, they're not hiring staff and buying equipment and purchasing property with that type of capital. Um, and microfinance is wonderful, but what we find is very quickly uh, businesses that are successful and want to really continue to grow get tapped out because they can't get a bigger loan that they need for those big investments they need to make. Right. And commercial banks don't want to do that lending because it's not worth their time to, to lend out $10,000, $15,000. The risks are perceived as high. And microfinance doesn't want to lend more because it gets risky, uh, too risky for them. And so we step in and say, can we raise capital here through that bond issuance? use that money and lend between five dollars and $25,000 to these successful entrepreneurs whose businesses are growing and they want to hire staff, mm. they want to purchase more supplies and increase demand throughout the value chain. And for us, it's a really great way to drive new job growth uh, and create economic growth in, in those countries. And so uh, that's the basics of it. The, the things we do in addition to that are, can we provide any support to those entrepreneurs so instead of just, here's $10,000, good mm-hmm. luck, you know, pay us back, we say, we do some business coaching with them. If we have any technical expertise we can provide to help their business. So if they're a farmer, we have agricultural experts at World Vision. Can we tap into them, give them advice to help increase their odds of success?
0: That's really yeah. great. That's you know, one thing is to have the, the funds in your hands, but to not necessarily know how to go about using it and, and the best ways to utilize it. Yeah, and
1: just the, the last thing I'd say on that is, the question might become, well, how does that affect children? It does because these are you know, often these parents need jobs and with that income they can afford to purchase clothes you know, the uniforms to send their kids to school and right. feed their families and so you can see the the ripple benefits. Oh, for sure.
0: And so let's get to to the question of of the of impact investing in a in a broader level. You know, there's there's a lot of myths and misunderstandings and misconceptions of what. Um, how impact investing works. And some people think that you always have to sacrifice all returns when you're investing uh, in impact. Other people have the opposite feeling, sensibility, that y- you don't have to sacrifice anything. Where would you lie in terms of the quote unquote truth of, of impact investing?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I might, pra- I might phrase it like this. You don't necessarily have to sacrifice return to make an impact, mm-hmm. but I like bold and underline necessarily. <laughs> so sometimes you don't. And at other times you absolutely do, um, and so it depends on uh, what type of impact uh, you want to have uh, in what region and on what problem and for what you know sort of uh, beneficiary, and, and and it defines you know it depends on how you define impact. You know every every investment that you make has an impact. I mean this is I think for me one of the big aha moments. I you know I I grew up in the world of in finance and doing a CFA and MBA, MBA and watching Wall Street and Greed is Good the Gordon right. De- sort of speech. And that's just like, you grow up brainwashed to believe maximize shareholder value at all costs, and you don't think about anything else. And the big aha moment for me was, right, like every investment we make has an impact, has a consequence on the world. And to not think about those consequences when you're investing and trying to maximize shareholder value is so irresponsible. Right. It would be like walking around all day, just littering everywhere you went without any regard for like the fact that you're just making a mess everywhere. Um, and that's how we've been investing for just all time and now there's some awareness of where I'm right. These have consequences. So, um, you know, if you made an investment and said, "Listen, I'm going to make sure that the types of companies I invest in are responsible about their environmental impacts. So they clean up after themselves and they try to mitigate how much damage they have to the environment. Or and or they treat, you know, they they're pursuing gender diversity and gender equality. So they create an environment for women that is supportive and uh, treats them equally." that's a way to make an impact. And, and what we see is you're investing in traditional businesses, for profit businesses that as they're going about trying to make a profit are responsible about it. And that has an impact, right? If you, yep. if we all just collectively support those businesses, uh, it drives the right behaviors. And I, in that case, I don't think you have to sacrifice anything. If anything, what we've seen is the you know, data that we've seen now for two, three decades shows us that those companies that act responsibly actually perform better and drive more profitability. So, it actually can improve your returns. If, on the other hand, you want to, you know, solve problems in um, fragile contexts in Afghanistan, or you're in Democratic Republic of Congo and you're trying to deal with uh, geopolitical risks, currency risks, and you know, understanding the problem is harder because the culture that like there's a just getting there and back is. Expensive so uh, depending on the problem and what you want to solve you may or may not have to uh, you know sacrifice return But if you want to certain problems you you just add costs, risks and uncertainty that Will eat into your return and that's you know Right you're gonna have to get comfortable with that if you want to try to solve those problems and the very fact that it's even possible to make an investment that you know, returns your capital, even provides a small return, and does that type of good in the world is amazing. It should yeah. be wonderful. So I hope that's not seen as oh, well, that's disappointing.
0: No, I think that's the reality of the situation, yeah. and, and and people do more and more. People are looking, how, you know, what can they do to make a difference, and starting to realize that uh, where they put their money and how they spend their money is is you know more mindful and more conscious of it. But I think it's good to to have your eyes open as well as to you know, what to expect. Um what about the biggest challenges that you face?
1: Uh the, you know lots and lots of challenges. As an as an INGO and as a registered charitable organization, uh, you know, what what a charity is allowed and how they're allowed to use their, their money and how they're allowed to raise capital. There's you know, the regulations having kept up with the evolution in the merging of for profit and non profit. Right. That's always a bit of a challenge. Uh, these ideas and concepts that we're pursuing are new to the organization and not just at world vision, other charities that are in the same spot doing this type of work or finding the same thing. So it's just a socialization of the ideas, uh, trying something new is sometimes hard. Um, and, and obviously all of the the intricacies that come with working in, in different contexts and understanding, you know, the local problems and all that. And that's where world vision really has a big advantage is we have local people on the ground who understand context. Um, and then broadly within the industry, uh, I'd say the challenges are just a, like awareness, understanding about what it is. Um, there, the regulations are a problem too. Here, most of the impact investments are private securities, which make it more difficult for the average investor to access them because there's some rules around whether you can sell to the retail public. So, lots of challenges all around.
0: Where do, Where do you see it going? Um, do you see it sort of tackling those challenges? Do you specifically in your job see uh, being able to do so? And do you see it growing? Do you see it, uh, I don't know, what, what do you see happening with it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I, I have often asked this question a lot. And I, you know, I, I think what we'll see is uh, the change will happen at a, like an accelerating rate, but it, it starts off real slow. And so you kind of got this uh, slow increase and, and it starts to compound. And so you really see the biggest advances in the later years um and so i think you know over the next five years it's not sort of there's no radical changes next 10 years i think that's a more interesting question i think what you'd start to see um are you know the regulations starting to sort of uh, continue to adapt and, and, and keep up and allow them to become more accessible maybe in 10 years we start to see the first sort of publicly traded vehicles that are impact oriented so whether those are um, you know, ETF, like an ETF structure that allows you to access impact, like true impact investments. I would say, you know, I, I'm worried about when there might be the first sort of um, high profile sort of blow up of, of an impact investment that maybe like gives a black eye to the industry, yeah. and maybe damages some faith in it for a little bit. And, you know, people don't know what to do about that. And, and it maybe like that's entirely possible. Um, but um, I think, you know, the, the big trend is that uh, is demographic and the massive intergenerational transfer of wealth that's going to occur. What's interesting is like the first thing that's going to happen as baby boomers pass is the money first goes to women, um, because it's, you know, their husbands who are statistically likely more likely to pass away, uh, inherit the wealth and start making more decisions for the first time with the, the finances. Uh, and then it gets passed on to their children. And interestingly, both of those demographics, women and millennials, uh, are disproportionately more likely to in, make impact investments than older men. Um, and so I think that really escalates uh, the rate of, of impact investing and the demand for it.
0: Interesting. What do you wish uh, people knew about impact investing?
1: Yeah, I, I would say, I think this is the type of thing that you you really should, is best done as an active participant. Um, so, you know, I think what people, people value convenience um, we're busy with our lives, we've got a lot of things on our plate and it's you know, you'd like to be able to just click a button and make sure your investments are all just doing a wonderful thing and you don't have to worry about it. Um, and you know, I think you can, um, for sort of socially responsible or ESG investing, that's a little more feasible. When you really start to think about impact investing where you're trying to actively drive impact to the things you care about, you really kind of have to roll up your sleeves, really get in touch with what's important to you. You can't tackle everything. And so what do you want to focus on? How do you want to, and what impact do you want to make? And then really think about what is what is meaningful impact? And not all impact, like, like there's a lot, what will happen in this industry, and it's already happening as you get sort of this greenwashing, yeah. you get for profit, you know, people looking just to make a profit off of a trend, Capitalizing on the fact that people want to do good and and profit, and so you you can tell a great marketing story, you can put together data and stats that look make everything look pretty. But if you don't scratch beneath the surface as an investor, you just get taken for a ride, and you'll feel good. You know, maybe you'll feel good about it, but you won't actually be doing any good in the world potentially. And there's a big difference, I think, between firms and how much care and effort they put into really understanding whether they're making a difference, or whether they're just doing the things. They say they do. So here's a real, a, a tangible example. Um, in the case of our work with with small and growing businesses, a lot of this work, um, you could we could put together a lot of stat data and stats, and we have these stats on. These are the number of loans we gave out. This was the average size of the loan. These are the countries, the types of people. These, this is what percentage went to women. And that would all look wonderful. Oh, look at all this, these loans we gave and that should lead to all these good things. But how do we know? are those businesses being successful? Are they actually creating jobs? If they're creating jobs, are those is the income actually going and being used to for positive things? And so what we've started to do is spend a lot of time and effort and energy on the first step and we've got a long way to go, but you have to put the time and energy, build the infrastructure to measure the number of jobs that are being created. And even that one stat, just to give you an example, can be fairly complex. Like, so we're asking we ask questions and we get data regularly on the number of jobs that have been created because of the loan that the borrower received to hire staff. And are they full-time jobs? Are they part-time jobs? Are they seasonal? Are they contract? Do they go to men? Do they go to women? Do they go to youth? And those are there's a big difference. Mm-hmm. A full-time job versus a part-time or, or seasonal job like it's sporadic and you happen to get some income is nowhere near as impactful in that community as a full-time salary job because you don't have any predictability over your income. And so if we were just in a position where we created a bunch of sporadic jobs that with you know uh, income that's unpredictable, arguably we're making very little impact. So these things matter and the organization that's doing the work, if they don't really care about the impact they're trying to drive, you can be taken for a ride as an investor.
0: That's a very good point. I like the fact that we're, we're becoming more informed through this conversation of how it works and, and the realities on the ground and what you need to think of uh, before you make an impact investment. And, and hopefully that will inspire people to do more of that, um, specifically with Origin Capital. Uh, and just to end on that note, you will be seeing you at the Social Finance Forum in Toronto. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So uh, November 6th through 8th, I believe, um, in Toronto. We're going to be the title sponsor of the Social Finance Forum. So there's on the evening of November sixth, there's an opening reception. We're going to launch our brand there. We'll have a, probably a 10-15 minute presentation telling people about what we are and who what we do. And then there's a fireside chat that follows that with uh, Jed Emerson, who's uh, amazing. And uh, we're going to be talking about these sort of big existential questions around impact investing and uh, and is you know is capitalism broken? Is impact investing part of the solution or part of the problem? Um, and you know that for us was really fitting because Origin Capital is about really like we want to be raw and honest about what we're doing and self-critical, self-reflective. Like, are we making? We don't. As a nonprofit, that's one of the good things about being a nonprofit in this space. It doesn't matter if we can you know, cover our costs. If we're not actually driving the impact, that's our mission. That's what we exist to do. Right. If we're not just doing that, we don't want to do it, even if we can get people to buy into the story. So starting with self-critical questions about the industry is, I think, really aligned with our brand and on point. And so we love that that's how we're going to launch our brand. That's amazing. That's great. Looking
0: forward to, uh, to seeing that, hearing that. Uh, and, and congratulations to you for, for getting this off the ground, to you and your team. Uh, it's very exciting, really exciting. Thank you so much again for taking the time speaking with me about it. Thank you. I really
1: appreciate it. It's always a pleasure chatting.
0: Thank you for listening to In the Business of Change. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear other conversations with inspired social entrepreneurs and change makers working on challenges in their communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Elisa Byrne.